Fishing for a show aimed at the outdoor enthusiast? Tune in to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, Saturday at 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. Eastern on Rural Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 147, and on the Sirius XM app. Welcome in to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, brought to you by Bass Pro Shops. If you love fishing, hunting, and the great outdoors and want to make it even better, you're in the right place with host Rob Keck. Your adventure starts right here. Good morning and welcome and happy new year and thanks again for tuning in to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, brought to you by Bass Pro Shops. We're truly, your adventure starts right here. I'm Rob Keck, your host, and I sincerely hope that as you look to the months ahead in this new year that you're hunting, your fishing plan is beginning to take shape. And as I've said so many times, today we live in the golden years of hunting and fishing. There's so many opportunities out there in the water, in our forests, on the fields, the plains and mountains of our great nation and around the globe. Also, many of you already know this, but January and February is wildlife convention, sport and outdoor show season where you can... Find the latest gear, talk to the hunting pros, explore opportunities with outfitters, and book trips. Yet, for others, it is the time to apply for special big game draw permits and tags in many of the western states. Well, today, we're broadcasting from Dallas Safari Club's Heritage Convention and Sporting Expo right here in Dallas, Texas. As with everything in Texas, let me tell you, folks, this is big, and it's been billed as the greatest hunter's convention on the planet. I've not seen anything bigger or better than this, and this outdoor and sporting show is certainly one of the biggest in the nation, drawing a crowd of more than 50,000 people, and this is the place to plan and book those future hunts worldwide with some of the finest licensed guides and outfitters from around the globe all over, and uh, there's over 1,500 exhibits the latest gear, equipment, art, auction, seminars, world-class banquets, celebrity guests. And I tell you, I've got three of them with me today here in this show. Today, our three guests will focus our attention on the hunter's role in conservation. We'll touch on conservation, what conservation actually means, both here in the U.S. and worldwide. The challenges of conservation, and certainly the conservation work of Dallas Safari Club. The three hunters all have committed their lives to wildlife conservation. Our guests, Ron Reagan, Executive Director of the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, Catherine Semser, a research fellow at the Property and Environment Research Center, and Matt Bogolowski, the Dallas Safari Club Advocacy Manager. But before we meet our three guests, I want to reference last week's show. As Katie Mitchell mentioned during our opening segment, Bass Pro Shops partnered with a number of great organizations to make Christmas a little brighter for kids in the hurricane disaster-stricken Bahamas. Bass Pro Shops founder Johnny Morris led the charge in a story of hope and faith that he shares in his own words. Uh, the Bahamas are like a magical daydream place for all fishermen. And a lot of the afternoons we'd come in from tuna fishing there was a bone fisherman I met, Willie Duncan. He was a reverend, preacher, bonefish Willie. But he was always my favorite guy to go fish with. I've fished with a lot of people, but Willie was a character and a kind-hearted soul. And we'd sit there on the flats, you know, uh, he'd be pulling along or we'd anchor up and he couldn't see the fish coming so good, so he'd just tell stories. No matter how good the fishing was though he always had to leave about 3 30 we had to go in because he had to be at church by uh, no later than four to teach the kids he loved kids so when this storm hit it wasn't just me but i think a lot of people wanted to help and so there's this organization called convoy of hope it was created by a preacher in my hometown springfield missouri so knowing them and knowing of the passion of a lot of our customers at Bass Pro, they wanted to help. We thought, man, maybe we're in a position to unite fishermen with this great organization to do some good. Thank you all fishermen. We're very, very grateful. These kids are gonna be happy. We got a sign over there that says happy. That's what this party, Christmas in the Bahamas, is all about. Thank you fellow fishermen. And we got one more sign that says, Thanks, Willie. 
but Bahamian preacher married me and my wife on Fish Willie Duncan. We named our boy after him. Love you up there, Willie. We started thinking at Christmas time, what about these kids, you know? Yes, food's important, maybe cots, tents, but what about happiness? What could we do to make these kids really, really happy? Hey, you kids having a fun time? Yeah. First off, never ever grow up. Boys stay a kid. Second, boys love your mom and dad and your grandparents, because they love you more than you'll ever know. And last, boys love Jesus, because he loves you. And man, here you go. It was like amazing outpouring of love. And it just happened. It's just maybe the happiest day of my whole life, other than the kids being born, grandkids or something. It was so so many people so happy. For 20 years now, Convoy of Hope's had the privilege to respond to disasters all over the world. And for 20 years now, Bass Pro Shops has been one of our leading partners. And this thing that you see tonight, this party, this gathering, was all birthed in the mind and the heart of Johnny Moore. God may not have sent this storm to us, but tonight, God has turned things around and has caused us to experience the most biggest, awesome, powerful children's party in the history of our country. We have this event in our stores for years called Santa's Wonderland. And it's just like a festive little place, you know, Santa comes, there's trees, there's toys, there's games kids can play. So separate and apart from the relief effort, we thought, why don't we go back to folks, and especially some of the vendors, and see if they would lend some sponsorship to create a Santa's Wonderland. Everywhere you turn, kids being so happy, and their parents. And everywhere you look to see them escape, you know, and I just feel like everybody on the whole team, we're feeling like spirits are really high. And every kid's just smiling, there were coloring books, there were all these crafts, you know, shooting uh, little bows and arrows, BB guns. Kids maybe had never done a lot of this stuff. It was like true, amazing happiness and joy. everybody that was a part of this team that wanted this to be a happy time when they got to see it really be a happy time to see those kids man that's what it was about hope and faith I told someone the other day if you have faith to believe watch this perfect example no one never knew what that convoy of hope in Bosporo would have been on this island but it was faith in faith in God and having faith that help was coming, that they are having this event. Hope and faith is all we were holding on to. Yeah, fishermen are overall. There's a keen fellowship there. Fishing is a great sport, pastime that attracts people from all walks of life. Uh, all fishermen share certain bonds in common, love of nature, trying to get their rod bent, and uh, fishermen are very caring. Look, Karen, from all of us, here's a check for you for the Y for $50,000. Everywhere to support the work you do and uh, 
We're also your partners with Audubon. All you mean, all of us, all you mean to the people of Bahamas, because this is a fishing island. This is a check to you for $50,000. Thanks, team. That's all you guys. Very, very proud. I think Willie is a fishing buddy and is a, a very spiritual guy who loved kids. I just know he was looking out and he was smiling ear to ear, seeing all those kids be happy. Very moving, and what a shame that this wasn't front-page news. Thank you, Johnny, for your compassion, your caring, your unmatched leadership. Well, folks, we're going to move to our first break. We return, we're going to meet up with our three guests to discuss the hunter's role in conservation right here at Dallas Safari Club's Heritage Convention and Sporting Expo. This and a whole lot more coming right up. And I'm Rob Keck, your host here on Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. I'm Larry Weissen, life member of the Dallas Safari Club, and I'd like to invite you to become a member of the world's finest outdoor conservation organization whose mission revolves around wildlife conservation, education, and hunter advocacy. DSC is a worldwide organization comprised of like-minded outdoor people who have granted more than $4 million in the last two years in support of projects involved in the scientific-based management of wildlife and habitat. To learn more and become a member, please go to biggame.org. Sirius XM's Rural Radio, your gateway to the rural lifestyle. This is Rob Keck, host of Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, with the latest information about hunting, fishing, and more. This is Janet Atkinson, host of FFA Today, your in-depth look at the nation's premier youth organization. Get connected with Real Ag Radio. This is Sean Haney. We'll talk markets, agronomy, machinery, and cover the real-time issues affecting farmers and ranchers in all of North America. Rural Radio, Sirius XM 147, or listen on the Sirius XM app. Back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World on Rural Radio, Sirius XM. And welcome back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. If you've just tuned in, we're at the Dallas Safari Club's Heritage Convention and Sporting Expo at the K. Bailey Hutchinson Convention Center right here in beautiful Dallas, Texas. And uh, folks, what a show it is. And if you love hunting or if you're thinking about going hunting or want to book a hunt, Anywhere in the world, this is where it's at. And we're introducing our three guests who will be with us throughout the entire show. First, Catherine Semser, a research fellow at Property and Environment Research Center and contributing editor to Conservation Frontlines. And Catherine, welcome to Outdoor World. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Great to be with you. First time, but I've got a guy that's coming back. I've been with him many, many times over the years in a variety of capacities. But uh, next we have Ron Reagan, the executive director of the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, headquartered in Washington, D.C. He's been with us before. Ron, welcome back. Thanks so much, Rob. I'm, I'm grateful to be here. What a fount of knowledge he is with our state and federal wildlife resource agencies. And rounding out our panel is the advocacy manager for Dallas Safari Club, Matt Bogoslowski. Matt, welcome. Thanks for joining us here this morning. Hey, Rob. Great to be here. Thank you. You know, uh, we had a chance yesterday with, with Ron and, and Matt to talk a little bit about uh, what is happening on the conservation front, not just here in the country, but worldwide. And uh, we're going to touch on some of those things today. We're going to talk about the hunter's role in conservation. But before we do that, uh, I'd like our listeners to know a little bit more about uh, the backgrounds of, of each and every one of you. Catherine, a little thumbnail of yourself. Sure. I'm a researcher by trade, and I look at the political economy of wildlife conservation in Africa with a specific focus on the role that hunters play in supporting that wildlife economy. Wow. Do you like to hunt? I do. I'm uh, primarily an upland bird hunter, but occasionally hunt waterfowl as well. Wow. Great. Well, it's waterfowl season right now for much of the country. Ron, you were the executive director of Vermont's Fish and Wildlife Department earlier in your career. I think that's where we first met. But why don't you share a little bit more about your background and, uh, and uh, enlighten our listeners? Well, I'll be glad to. Well, uh, briefly, uh, I grew up in a rural hunting and fishing family in Vermont. Uh, I knew at a fairly early age I wanted to become a wildlife biologist, and uh, I was blessed with that opportunity. I started out as a deer biologist for the Vermont Fish and Wildlife Department, um, ended up being a political appointee uh, and the director uh, of that agency. I spent 26 wonderful years with that agency in Vermont, and for the last uh, 14 years now, I guess, I've been in Washington, D.C., 
doing policy work uh, on behalf of uh, state, provincial, and territorial agencies. Cool. I know you're an avid hunter. What do you like to hunt most? So, you know, I grew up, uh, we had beagles. I grew up uh, um, hunting snowshoe hare, uh, deer hunting, grouse hunting uh, in Vermont. And I would say my my first love today is upland birds and wild turkeys. Yeah, well, I, I, can, I can relate to all that. Matt, a little background. Uh, you know, what did you do before becoming the advocacy manager at Dallas Safari Club? Uh, so I own my own private practice. I'm an attorney. Um, before that, I worked for John Jackson Conservation Force and uh-huh. kind of throughout all of this in the last 12 years, um, a licensed professional hunter in Tanzania. What is an advocacy manager? It's, um, I, I cover everything. So I'm an attorney and I oversee our, our litigation and policy matters, a lot of import um, issues in the U.S. and, and the state level, um, and then also international <laughs> affairs, so matters like CITES and IUCN and those those. Yeah, we things. talked a lot about that yesterday. Well, how about you? Uh, one critter, if you, had to, if you had to pick one to go hunt, what would it be? I would hunt elephant. <laughs> wow. That's my passion. Never expected that answer. Interesting. We'll get into that. But All right, let's get rolling along in this topic of the hunter's role in conservation. Let's look at the word hunter itself. You know, hunters come from all walks of life, different ages, male, female, bow hunters, gun hunters, spear hunters, hunters that hunt big game, small game, waterfowl, African game, and more. It seems mundane, but uh, I ask that question, what is a hunter? Catherine, I'm going to start with you. Sure. I would define a hunter as someone who legally harvests wild game and contributes to the conservation uh, of that game at the same time. There's someone who gives back more than they take. Ron? Yeah, that's a great uh, opening question. And, you know, I I think about a hunter uh, as someone who um, enjoys nature, uh, cares as much about the experience um, as actually harvesting whatever the animal might be. And, and I think the experience is written broadly. It's everything from uh, being in a blind or a tree stand um, to sitting in camp at night and, and relating the tales of the day uh, about pursuing whatever the game is. And then, and then I think in the, and in the end, um, a hunter is someone who um, appreciates and values that they're making a difference for conservation. Yeah, well said. Matt, yourself. Uh, just a very simple, you know, kind of one-sentence response. I think, you know, just we're the single greatest and most committed conservationists in the world. Okay. We've touched on that. We've talked about that a little. We're going to talk about it, of course, throughout the show. But, you know, the next word's conservation. And I know in some previous shows we've had this kind of discussion with other uh, natural resource people. And uh, it, it came out that conservation can mean different things to different people. And so... You know, conservation is the one word that, uh, you know, I think maybe challenges us, challenges our community and our industry. We have just about a minute. We're not going to get it all in in this segment. We'll come back to it. But, Catherine, your definition here in this last minute of this segment of conservation. Well, at its core, conservation is about the sustainable use of natural resources. And I always go back to the definition from Gifford Pinchot, the first chief of the U.S. Forest Service, which is that it's managing resources for the greatest good for the greatest number over time. Mm -hmm. I think that hits it very well, Matt. Yeah, I mean, it's just a a systematic and strategic, multifaceted method of managing and maintaining vast landscapes of habitat for wildlife. Ron? Well, I, th- I think we've covered it pretty well, but I would only add that it's uh, having an eye to the future and ensuring uh, the prosperity of natural resources, including fish and wildlife, for generations to come. When we come back from the break, I want us to talk just a little bit. What do you think the general public's definition of conservation is? Because I think it can be very, very confusing to some, and they may miss our point altogether. So with that we're going to go to our next break. We return, going to continue our visit with Catherine Ron Matt right here at the Dallas Safari Club's Heritage Convention and Sporting Expo. I'm Rob Keck, your host, and it's right here in Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. Thanks for joining us, and we will be right back. You know it takes the right habitat to conserve and grow healthy wildlife populations. At Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, we're committed to helping landowners voluntarily protect land and wildlife habitat forever. Benefits here go beyond protecting habitat for upland birds and wildlife. Native grasslands protect soil, 
provide valuable resources for the ranching community, and serve as a natural filter to enhance water quality for all. We need your help to protect America's grasslands for future generations. Creating and leaving a legacy is within your reach. At Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, we're here to help you make a difference. Healthy habitat and abundant wildlife. Build it today to last forever. To learn more about how you can help us protect America's uplands, please visit us at pheasantsforever.org slash legacy. Back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World on Rural Radio, Sirius XM. And welcome back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. Thanks for joining us here at the greatest hunter's convention on the planet right here in Dallas, Texas. Right before the break, we were talking about uh, uh, a word that, uh, well, maybe has different definitions for different people. And uh, as I mentioned, we're sitting right here at the Dallas Fire Club's Heritage Convention and Sporting Expo. It's going on right now. Uh, And folks, if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, there's still time to come to the show, get a day pass, bring the family. It continues through Sunday. And if you've just tuned in, we're privileged to have with us three avid Hunter conservationist Catherine Semser, research fellow at Property and Environment Research Center, Ron Reagan, the executive director of the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, and the advocacy manager for Dallas Safari Club, Matt Bogoslovsky, and all of them sitting right here. Folks, that word conservation, each of you gave a definition. But what do you think the public's understanding or definition of that word might be? Catherine. Well, as I said, you know, conservation is about the sustainable use of natural resources. But what we've seen increasingly creep into the public dialogue is the idea of preservation. And that's mm-hmm. being confused with conservation. Rather than the sustainable use of natural resources, much of the public has started to oppose the use of natural resources. And this is a bit of a... Um, of a challenge because, of course, our society depends on natural resources to function for food, for fiber, for water. And this is something that conservationists consistently need to push back against, this idea that we should not use the bounty of the earth. Yeah. <clears throat> Matt? Well, I agree 100% with what Catherine just said. I think it's very much so a preservationist approach where people are focusing on the individual to the detriment of entire ecosystems and species as a whole. Um, so really honing in on a particular iconic species and not worrying about the bushbuck or the Marshall's eagle or whatever it happens to be in whatever particular ecosystem. So, Ron? Yeah, and I, I really uh, can't say much more than has already been said by my two colleagues here except to say um, I think um, <clears throat> these notions of, of preservation um, you know, the, versus conservation go way back in time. You know, you had uh, Mr. Muir um, who uh, was a big proponent probably of what we would call the preservation movement, uh, the wilderness movement, 125 years ago. And you had Theodore Roosevelt, who was more of the conservation, sustainable use-minded individual. But, you know, it's probably um, not surprising to us that uh, given that 80% of Americans now live in an urban environment of some sort, they didn't grow up on a farm, they didn't grow up in a small town, and the only notion they have about wildlife or its management uh, or natural systems even is through social media and whatever the hot topic is on some kind of uh, news program. And um, those often don't do a very fair or just job in portraying um, what conservation could be versus what preservation uh, promotes. Why, why do you think uh, this other side, this other community uh, is trying to blur that landscape and making the words preservation and conservation synonymous. What is there some underlying reason, Catherine? Any thoughts there? Well, I think what we're engaged in here is a, um, a conflict of values. And, and I think that the people who are pushing the preservationist approach, um, as Ron was saying, they're detached from the natural world. It's not something that they typically have a day-to-day contact with. And so their values and their perceptions are shaped by Disney films and documentaries on television rather than the direct experience. I'll go so far as to say they mean well, 
but they don't do well. Yeah. You know, last year, just about a year ago, I was in State College, Pennsylvania. I was there to do a keynote address at the Pennsylvania chapter of the National Wild Turkey Federation. And I got in to the hotel just right after lunch. I hadn't eaten, so I went to the restaurant. I was the only person there. So I sat down. There was a big screen TV in front of the table, and I was watching it. And the waitress came over there, a young gal, found out later she was a student at, at Penn State. And while we were there just discussing what was on the menu, there was an ad that came off from the World Wildlife Fund, and it had a picture. It was picturing snow leopards, and one of them was in a trap. And she immediately says, oh, isn't that awful? And uh, anyway, I, I asked her, I said, well, explain what you saw up there. And uh, it was obvious that she didn't really have a lot of knowledge there, but she had an impact. Uh, it had an impact on her. In fact, she told me that... Uh, you know, do you know that red foxes are endangered? I said, really? I said, where did you get that from? She said, well, I, I got this. It was some uh, some kind of ad came across my phone that uh, there's only 50 red foxes left in the country. I won't even name the group that uh, it came from. I said, really? I said, there's probably 50 red foxes within a couple mile radius of where we're sitting right now. And she was like in disbelief. I think that social media and these quick ads that we see planted at strategic places are having an impact on the public as well. Matt, you've looked at this kind of thing. Give us your thoughts. You know, you know, from the kind of the NTU side of things, I mean, the, their misinformation campaigns that they're able to, you know, spread across and, and, and are appealing to a lot of kind of people my age in their 30s and whatnot. I mean, it's, it's, it pulls at the heartstrings and everything. Um, but, you know, sitting there, if, you know, I saw that snow leopard deal there on, on the TV with her. I'd say, well, do you know why we have snow leopards? Well, it's because of Marco Polo hunting in Tajikistan and, and hunting Markor, high-dollar Markor in, in Pakistan. That's what's ma- maintaining those habitats for uh-huh. them. So. Catherine, I think you were, were you wanting to say something? Oh, I saw absolutely. you bring that microphone up. <laughs> Yeah, I would add to this that, you know, we are in a current state of, of crisis in some cases. There are endangered species. You know, we are losing areas of habitat. And what's happening is we've seen an industry of non-governmental organizations spring up to capture the public concern uh, over those losses. And they're milking the public for every dollar that they can take, um, while at the same time not doing a whole lot to address the problems that we are facing. In contrast, the hunting community is putting dollars and boots on the ground to solve these problems. So important, and we're just about out of time, but Ron, you probably don't see any of those dollars she's talking about coming back to the State Fish and Wildlife Agency, uh, do you? No, we don't. And, you know, um, I was just going to add, too, it's, it, it's all about um, uh, natural resources in general, harvesting trees and, and, and the whole bit. Well, look, we're out of time here in this segment. We're going to come back to it, but uh, we're going to take that next break. We return, going to continue our discussion here in the Hunter's Role in Conservation right here at the Dallas Safari Club's Heritage Convention and Sporting Expo. This is Rob Keck, and you're listening to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, and we will be right back. This is a public service announcement test from TakeMeFishing.org to determine if you need a fishing license and boat registration before heading out on the water. Let's begin. Are you a bear? Do you have a beak? Does your name rhyme with old beagle? Do you dart in front of cars? Here's a tough one. Do you have plumage? Do you rub your body against things to mark them? Do you have webbed feet? No, I mean like a... Were you hatched? Do you have fur? I'm not talking back here. Does your boat fly south for the winter with the other boats? Regardless of how you answer, you need to be licensed and registered because it helps local conservation efforts protect the very natural resources you enjoy boating and fishing in for generations to come. Do your part at TakeMeFishing.org. Back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World on Rural Radio, Sirius XM. And welcome back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. And for the second half hour of the show, we are having a wonderful, an educational, and a spirited discussion of the hunter's role in conservation with our three guests, Catherine Semser, Ron Reagan, Matt Bogoslowski, right here at the greatest hunter's convention on the planet, Dallas Safari Club's Heritage Convention and Sporting Expo. Catherine is hunting conservation and look at it vice versa. 
I believe that hunting is conservation. You know, as we discussed earlier, hunting is when um, people are legally harvesting game and at the same time putting back more into the system um, than they're taking out of it. Um, now, is conservation hunting? In many cases, it is. Uh, we've got overabundance uh, of many species, um, you know, like white-tailed deer, um, even in southern Africa, in some cases, elephant. And we have to reduce the numbers of those species in order to protect the ecosystem, and hunting is a key tool to achieve that. Matt? I mean, it's kind of common sense. Hunting is the single greatest conservation tool that we have at our disposal. The look, public doesn't know yeah. that, though. But look where we hunt and, and look where there's wildlife. And, and just in, you know, the countries that hunt in southern Africa and Tanzania, you're looking at 82% of Africa's elephant population just sitting right there. Wow. That doesn't, this doesn't happen by accident. Managing wildlife and, and conserving them is not by accident. It's active participation. Ron, where do the dollars that pay for conservation come from? If they're not coming from uh, these preservationist groups, where, where do they come from? I mean, I think we all know that answer, but I want our listeners to, to have some reinforcement so that they understand the importance of what hunters really mean in this world of conservation. Well, um, you know, hunters and anglers are, are uh, really the economic engine uh, behind the systemic, scientifically-based management of fish and wildlife resources in North America. Um, on average, uh, a state fish and wildlife agency's budget is derived from hunters and anglers. And there's two basic pots of money there. One are the license fees uh, that are charged for that privilege to hunt and fish. And then the second pot are the excise taxes on hunting and angling equipment. Those funds end up being channeled through the federal government back to state fish and wildlife agencies and in some cases, uh, in some states, it's 100% of their budget, those two pots of money. Uh, in other cases, like I said, on average, it's 75 to 80%. Looking for more money to help in that, where, where can it come from? Ron, pick it up again. Well, so, you know, um, my organization and, and many in the conservation community, including Dallas Safari Club, um, have been advocating for... Uh, broader sustainable funding to give uh, state agencies the tools and uh, uh, the, the resources and the capacity they need to take care of the full suite of fish and wildlife in this country. And, you know, over the past few decades, there's been a, initiatives ranging from teaming with wildlife to more recently uh, the Recovering America's Wildlife Act, uh, which is legislation that's, that's pending uh, in the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. right now. We're going to need our all of our people to make sure they contact their senators when that come up for a vote because we've got to get that passed. Africa, how? tell us about who's paying for conservation in, in Africa. It's a little different than here in the States. No, it's very different. Um, and you're looking at, it's a, you know, two, not a mutually exclusive, but we actually work very close together with the photographic areas in the national parks and the hunting areas provide critical buffer zones and increase habitat because these animals need vast expanses of land to roam, elephant, lion, all of them, these huge iconic species. Um, but it's, it's paid, you know, in the hunting areas, which you're looking at about 600,000 square kilometers across Africa, it's by hundreds of dollars. And, um, you know, we, several multiples of, of the national parks, which are, you know, entrance fees and park fees, but, you know, the kind of numbers that, that I'm hearing, it's, you know, 10 out of, I think it's 82 national parks in, in throughout Africa are actually financially viable and self-sufficient. Wow. Catherine? And just, uh, you know... Um, you've been there. You've, you've, you've lived there, correct? I've not lived there, but I've worked there. You worked there an awful lot. Go ahead. Um, you know, just to build on what Matt was saying, you know, with regard to the national parks, uh, if you look at the studies done by the World Bank, hunting contributes more to gross domestic product than uh, all of the national park revenues uh, combined in sub-Saharan Africa. Wow. How, how do we get that message out? I mean, I, I would think that in our own community, we don't even know that very well. I mean, the general hunting public doesn't know that. What do we got to do to get that word out? Because that's major. I think one thing we need to do is become much more media savvy than we have been in the past. You know, we've done a lot of talking to ourselves about the value of hunting, but we have to break out of our shell and get out there and talk to our friends, our neighbors who don't hunt, and understand that just because someone is a non-hunter does not necessarily mean that they're an anti-hunter. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we present them numbers that like 
you know, Matt mentioned the, the 600,000 square kilometers of hunting areas uh, in Africa. Well, that's four times the size of the U.S. national park system. That's something that resonates with people. That's something that they can get their head around. Mm -hmm. And are we willing to sacrifice, you know, four U.S. national park systems um, just to placate groups like the Humane Society of the United States? Ron? Yeah, I wanted to just add quickly two things. Uh, one is we haven't said this explicitly, I think, but, um, you know, through those hunter dollars that go back in the conservation at, at state agencies, uh, those funds end up taking care of a lot of non-hunted species as well. And for folks that might be bird watchers or um, nature photographers or they're in a national park in the West looking at uh, bighorn sheep or whatever, uh, uh, which is a hunted species, of course, uh, the fact is hunters are paying uh, for a lot of conservation for a lot of critters. The final point I would make is that um, not only are hunters contributing directly through their licenses and these excise tax fees, but they're donating to major conservation organizations at national and local scales that are putting money back in the habitat and, and other programs. Yeah, so so much on point, and we're just about out of time again in this segment, but I, I want to illustrate what you just talked about, the delisting of the bald eagle. I mean, you look back, what was 15 years or more ago, front page news, and you know where hunters were listed? They were listed along with DDT as the cause of the demise, but never mentioned in the story as part of the restoration. And so we have added to the quality of life, and I want to talk about that more when we come back from this break. So when we return, going to continue our discussion right here at the Hunters uh, Convention, the Dallas Safari Club Heritage Convention and Sporting Expo. This is Rob Keck, and you're listening to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, and we will be right back. Hey everybody, I'm Easton Corbin, and I grew up in the smallest county in the state of Florida, and that's a long ways from Nashville, let alone elk country. But I've been hunting all my life, and I've always dreamed of chasing elk. When I came out west and heard my first bugle, I was hooked. I just had to roll with it. Now I want to make sure that dream will be here for tomorrow's hunters. If you feel the same way, make a difference and join the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation by going to www.rmef.org. In 1912, Theodore Roosevelt said, there could be no greater issue than that of conservation in this country. More than a century later, his statement has never been more meaningful. The Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership promotes Roosevelt's commitment to the sporting life by guaranteeing that all Americans have quality places to hunt and fish. Visit trcp.org to learn more and take action. Back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World on Rural Radio, Sirius XM. And welcome back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. And I can tell you we're having a wonderful, spirited uh, conversation here with uh, Catherine Semser, Ron Reagan, Matt Boguslawski. And uh, it's all happening right here at Dallas Safari Club's Heritage Convention and Sporting Expo. Catherine, I know you were wanting to say something right before we took that break. I'm going to let you pick it up. Right there, we were talking. I was talking about the bald eagle, the delisting, not getting credit. Jump in there. Yeah, I just wanted to further illustrate the point that Ron was making and, and using some African examples. Um, one issue that has captivated the public's attention has been the poaching of elephants and rhinos in Africa. Mm -hmm. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that most African conservation agencies don't receive very much funding, if any funding at all, from their central governments. So, for example, in Tanzania, all of the anti-poaching funds come directly from trophy hunting fees. If you remove those trophy hunting fees, you don't have anti-poaching uh, operations on the ground in Tanzania. At the same time, many countries require hunting operators to have their own anti-poaching forces to oversee the concessions that they're managing. And what we've seen happen is that as restrictions on the import of hunting trophies have been put in place by the United States, the European Union, and others, hunting operators are going out of business. And as they go out of business, we're losing <coughs> counter-poaching resources on the ground. Um, the surrender of, of one prominent hunting concession in Tanzania resulted in the loss of a 125-man anti-poaching unit. Wow. So when you lose hunting, you also are contributing to, um, to, the to an environment where poachers can thrive. That is an urgent message. Matt, how do we get that out? I know we kicked this around a little bit yesterday in, in the uh, Conservation Advisory Board meeting, mm -hmm. but uh, 
you know, Catherine, you make such a great point, and I think that, uh, you know, we have got to get on top of this as quickly as possible because we can't afford to lose these outfitters, what they contribute to the economy, to, to conservation. Matt, you've lived there. Yeah, I mean, you know, what can we do is, you know, our, our membership growth outreach, uh, and we have a tremendous messaging campaign going out, out right now that we're trying to educate people. And, you know, I think it's a multifaceted approach, you know, we need to be bringing more youth into the outdoors. But I think we're going to have to get a little bit strategic, you know, like we talked in the meeting and, and taking some, um, a couple plays out of the playbooks of the anti-use groups and whatnot, and then start hitting it hard and, and telling them, and, you know, I think putting the responsibility on them is this is your efforts and, and putting forth some import bans or whatever it happens to be, this is what it's led to. And I think in Tanzania, we're up to, I think, 83 vacant hunting blocks. You know, uh, Catherine was just talking about Eric Passanisi, who folded and had a hand in 24 hunting areas in the Slough Game Reserve. And um, he was investing a million dollars of his own income every year into anti-poaching. It's just incredible. And this is a direct, they are responsible for what's going on in the ground. Well, looking at North America, let's back off of Africa a second. Let's look at British Columbia and Canada, when uh, grizzly bears were, you know, taken off the list of game species that hunters could could pursue, uh, a lot of outfitters that you know were focused on on that uh, uh, species uh, to hunt. Uh, it created a challenge and economic loss as well. Matt, you want to comment on that as well? I mean, you know, the BC issue is absolute. Uh, nonsense and I, I was going through some of the the tax returns on some of these anti-groups and it was a line item on there their lobbying efforts and whatnot I mean it, it's as clear as day um, and they're not afraid to to show it and um, you know that's what we're here and that's what we're fighting against what really is scary is that they're not going to stop with grizzly bears I think mountain lions well I mean uh, my approach is no compromise I, you just got to keep hitting them yeah uh, can't fold anywhere everything is important yeah Catherine I think part of their strategy, too, is, you know, if you look at the the economics of, of hunting outfitting, and, and Matt can probably comment on this as well, you know, when you remove species like grizzly bear from the equation, when you remove species like lion, leopard, elephant, um, very quickly these hunting operations become economically unviable. So you don't have to remove all of the species um, from the list uh, of species that can be harvested in order to drive hunting outfitters out of business. Mm-hmm. The impact of Disney... This past summer, my grandchildren, my kids, it was a trip my wife has wanted to host for a long time, and I gave in. We went to Disney and spent uh, almost a week down there. But uh, uh, when we went to the the safari tour in the wilderness area, so to speak, uh, on that tour, as we were going through uh, Africa, so to speak, the tour guide, and my wife was holding me down. I said, don't you say a thing. But she said, the demise of, of elephants is because of hunters, trophy hunters coming over here. They're, they're going to be eliminated, and we've got to stop hunting. And I just thought, you have got to be kidding me. How do we counteract uh, you know, a place that, you know, like Disney, and they've got millions and millions of visitors, and they hear this kind of a message? How, how do we fight that, Ron? Well, you know, it's a tough one, right? Um, These are complicated issues, and most of the folks in the conservation world uh, don't know how to talk in sound bites. Uh, A lot of us are trained biologists or attorneys or policy gurus, and we want to get into the weeds. And when we get into the weeds, we sometimes miss how to talk to people through images and word choices that evoke emotion. And you know, this morning when when I woke up and I I saw some photos about the fires in Australia and I saw somebody carrying a koala bear uh, out of a fire-ridden area, I mean, you're just immediately (laughs) drawn to that, right? Sure. And and so um, uh, I think anti-hunting advocates have figured out how to exploit uh, that basic human interest in wildlife and have figured out a way how to talk about it in those sound bites that we have a hard time knowing how to do ourselves as conservation professionals. But to your point, I think one thing we can certainly do is, is uh, look to the past and demonstrate in the United States and Canada, for example, how in the past 125 years we've brought white-tailed deer, 
uh, black ducks, pronghorn antelope, um, uh, large carnivores uh, back in the sustainable population levels. And in some cases, many of those species um, are hunted and become the economic and outdoor recreation driver that we've been talking about. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about that when we come uh, back from the break. So when we return, going to continue our discussion on this fascinating and important topic of the hunter's role in conservation right here on Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. I'm Rob Keck, and we will be right back. We all have it. Whether it was passed down from our fathers or grandfathers, we knew it was there, inside us. That need, that longing to walk among the wild. But it's more than just our love of the outdoors that keeps us coming back. It's knowing we serve a purpose, to give more than we take. That we're here to carry on a legacy and become stewards of our wildlife. This place embodies that legacy with over a mile and a half of walkable trails and 35,000 live fish, mammals, reptiles, amphibians, and birds to teach and inspire. Stop and you'll feel it. Listen and you'll hear it. Asking you to share the wonder. The Wonders of Wildlife National Museum and Aquarium. Share the wonder. to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World on Rural Radio, Sirius XM. And welcome back to our final segment of Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. We've been having a wonderful discussion on the hunter's role in conservation here in Dallas, Texas at the greatest hunter's convention on the planet, Dallas Safari Club's annual convention and sporting expo. Catherine, Ron, Matt, uh, you know, we've talked about the role of, uh, of hunters in conservation throughout this show. You know, today we live in this world of sound bites, this instant messaging that we've touched on. And let's assume that we are telling a non-hunter about the critical role that hunters play in the future of conservation. What is your instant response, Catherine? Well, my instant response would be to to talk about something that's probably going to resonate with them, like elephants, and point out the fact that... Um, you know, where we have the healthiest elephant populations in Africa, the first and second largest populations, Zimbabwe and Botswana. Those are both countries that allow the hunting of elephants. Where lion is allowed to be hunted, we have the most thriving lion populations in Africa. Conversely, you know, when we look at the countries that don't allow hunting, like Kenya, they've seen 60% or better declines in uh, populations of species that are common elsewhere on the continent. So if we're going to maintain wildlife in Africa, in the United States, in Canada, elsewhere. We must have hunters as part of the equation. Matt? You know, very much so along the lines of, of, of Catherine's explanation right there. And and also, and when it comes to the international hunting issues, you know, elephant hunting, lion hunting, whatever it happens to be, it's this is also the sovereign decision of these countries to manage their wildlife as they see fit. And your opinion is really of little rel- you know, relevance in, in pushing that along. And it's also a humanitarian issue and the, the community of benefits derived and, and generated. So those are a lot of the points that I, that I like to hit on. Ron, for many years, state agencies confused the uh, understanding of information and education and marketing. I know there's been a real effort within the agencies, and I know that AFWA has sort of led the way there to try to, to understand and, and promote marketing these these great success stories and the programs where are we at in this this effort you know of getting onto social media to to market the things the great things that hunters these agencies are doing for conservation well um you're spot on in in your assessment rob and um i would say that uh by and large across the country state fish and wildlife agencies um get it um, they're hiring social media experts. They're involved with uh, tweeting and Instagram and posting about conservation success and outdoor recreation. Um, I think uh, from a budgetary and capacity standpoint, there are still challenges with having enough resources to do the job you know, perfectly well. Um, there was some legislation that uh, passed in December uh, that will give state fish and wildlife agencies the opportunity to use some of these federal excise tax dollars uh, driven by the hunting world uh, in a marketing kind of way, which I think is, is going to help um, tell that story. Yeah, good. And, and again, we're going to be calling on all of our 
uh, community to make sure when that thing's up for vote that we get that passed because our agencies can't have their hands tied if we can't market because we're looking at declining numbers of hunters, correct, Ron? Ah, absolutely. Yeah, we sure are. Mm-hmm. How about in Africa? Are we looking at declining numbers of hunters going abroad? Well, a lot of that you know, is, is tied to some of the import issues. And, and honestly, one of the big things that I'm dealing with um, on, on the import front is when they issue these permits, they get listed in the Federal Register and the massive attacks that happen on, on the people when they're trying to bring you know, that black rhino program that is completely funded by hunters' dollars. And why Namibia has increasing black rhino population, about five to six per annum, is completely by hunters. But now, because of the backlash for every time it gets, you know, that name gets posted, it's people are afraid and they have businesses and they don't want their you know, wife to get harassed or their kids to be beat up in school and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, well, we are running again short on time. And I want to give each one of you here in the final three minutes, I'm going to give one minute to each of you to give us a final thought on this hunter's role in conservation, something that maybe we already talked about, but maybe have missed. Catherine, ladies first. So one thing I think people um, really need to understand, whether they're a hunter or a non-hunter, is that conservation um, is becoming increasingly hard to practice in Africa. You know, these are developing economies. We've got six of the ten fastest-growing economies in the world in the African continent. And we're starting to see massive hydroelectric projects in national parks. Um, In that climate, we have to make conservation work with the economy, and hunting allows conservation to do that. Ron? Yeah, I think my parting words would be this. Um, Hunters care about wildlife. They care about nature. And as a result uh, of their support and science-based conservation delivery by governments on this continent, um, we contribute uh, to the quality of life of any given American at any given time in any given place, including downtown Dallas, through the work that's done to ensure there is clean air, clean water, clean habitat, and places for fish and wildlife to live. My point being, uh, conservation isn't just about um, growing critters on the landscape for someone um, to shoot. Um, It's all about um, healthy ecosystems and and, and healthy places for for Americans uh, to spend their lives. Matt? You know, it's a, it's a, again, conservation is a complicated and multifaceted process, especially in Africa. And we're looking at, you know, economic growth, but also huge, massive population growth. And that you can't manage ecosystems for one species to the detriment of others. And, and again, just, it's not an easy topic. And um, I implore people to expand their horizons and, and look at history and established models of conservation. Good luck to you. Good luck in 2020. And let's carry the flag for hunters and conservation. Folks, that's going to wrap it up here on Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World for this week. And on behalf of Bass Pro Shops, your adventure always starts here. Thanks for answering the call. That call to conservation, preserving our rich hunting, fishing, and trapping heritage. We'll see you next week. This has been Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. Talking all things outdoors. Brought to you by Bass Pro Shops, your outdoor leader. Join us next Saturday and every Saturday for more special guests and unique locations. 